Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Watch This Movie, Mike. Uh, I want to welcome in any returning listeners as well as new listeners, as it is only the second episode, so I'd imagine that uh, it's going to be a mix of returning and new listeners for the next handful of episodes before people decide if they want to keep listening or if they're done with it. That got me thinking, is there really a purpose of numbering episodes other than personal archiving and records? Does it matter? I, I always wonder, does it matter to the listeners that they they have a number on the episode? When people go to listen to like their favorite podcast or look for new podcasts, I know for me personally, I've, I've always searched by like what the actual podcast is covering regardless. I'm, it, I might look at like how long ago it was, assuming they're not covering something new. But other than that, you know, I've never looked at uh looked up a podcast and said oh or episode 40 nope i got to start with a certain number so uh, that was just me thinking out loud there as you can tell already that uh, this episode is getting another kind of opening pre-show segment and as i was kind of working today i I was thinking in my head like if i'm going to keep doing these opening segments before the main show with my guest I'm going to have to have some type of justification for it, because I could probably talk about random things off the top of my head. I don't know how much of interest they would be to the listener at all. I don't know if people will turn off the episode because of that before I even get to the guest, or just fast-forward it to the guest, Uh, you know, that segment, the main part of the show, I guess you would say. So uh, what I kind of came up with, and maybe it'll last, maybe it won't, is... Because the show is really about the guest uh, coming up with a movie for us to watch and discuss, I thought, hey, maybe the opening segment will be the opposite, where I will recommend a movie to the listeners. So I'm going to do that on this episode, and maybe it'll stick, and I'll start doing that to open each episode uh, before we get to the main course, I guess, if you will. So this movie that I'm going to recommend actually kind of came up. It, it spurned from a conversation I was having with the, with a fellow podcaster um, from the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror podcast. It would be JP, JP Shot. He's known by various uh, names by now, I guess. Um, but I just referred him as JP. So we were kind of having a discussion about, you know, past Oscar winners of Best Picture and nominees and stuff. And because of my age, maybe the one year that's always kind of stood out to me is 1995 because uh, Forrest Gump was the winner. I always grew up thinking, you know, post post years after that, I always grew up thinking that Pulp Fiction kind of got screwed out of winning. And I, I thought, you know, it'd be kind of fun to go back and watch uh, all the Best Picture nominees of 1995 and just to see if my thoughts were still the same. Now, I haven't watched them all yet, but the first one I wanted to watch was the one that I actually have not seen. And this was this movie probably I hadn't seen because not only was it out of my well I guess I would say it's out of my wheelhouse now, but for being a 15 year old kid at the time it was way out of my wheelhouse. Uh, it, it's like a romantic drama comedy, um, and that would be four weddings and a funeral. So I was like, you know, if I'm gonna do this best picture nominees thing correctly, I need to do it uh, and be true and you know watch all the nominees and not just lie. You know, not just assume that, oh, because it's not a movie I would necessarily be interested in, I'm just going to skip it and say I watched it. So, uh, for anyone who hasn't seen this, yeah, it, was, it starred Hugh Grant, Andy McDowell, um, 
there's a lot of actual familiar actors in this. Uh, John Hanna, probably people remember. Kristen Scott Thomas, Simon Callow. Uh, many more that you've probably seen in bit parts throughout the years. But uh, the reason I'm recommending this is because I actually ended up really liking it. Now, because it's a romantic comedy, you're going to get some familiar tropes that you've seen through the years. Of course, you know, Hugh Grant kind of plays the awkward uh, bachelor that uh, everyone around him is getting married, but he can't seem to find the love of his life. And in walks Andy McDowell, and it's like love at first sight for him and sort of for her too, but because of, you know, different circumstances, they can't quite get together in a relationship and they kind of go in and out of each other's lives throughout the movie and the other kind of gimmick is this is the over the course of the movie there happens to be four weddings and a funeral taking place so it's like they kind of both keep getting invited to these events for various reasons just you know knowing someone involved and and so by the end of it yeah i mean not to spoil it but i guess to spoil it it's not hard to predict how it ends, although there was like a part of the third act where I thought maybe they weren't going to go down the familiar path. But in the end, it, it kind of ends up where you assume it's going to. But man, the ride was pretty actu- actually good. And, you know, I will say, when it comes to romantic comedies, I, I do kind of like the ones that kind of focus on um, older characters. Not, you know, I'm not talking like 50s, 60s, but. We're talking like, you know, mid to late 30s, early 40s, because I, I just think that uh, dating at that age or looking for love at that age, it, it's it's somewhat different storytelling than you're going to get with, like, you know, the 20-somethings out there on the dating scene. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm older now, so this this age group appeals to me more depicted in movies, just in normal life kind of settings. But, yeah, I thought it was really funny, and... Uh, I thought Hugh Grant, you know, this back in the mid '90s, this is when Hugh Grant was kind of peaking, and it's it's before uh, he kind of got into his public troubles. Uh, I, you know, I don't need to really go into all that. It should be familiar enough with people if they're familiar at all with Hugh Grant from that era. But uh, you know, he was starting to get bigger, and just he started to get into that mode where studios were just throwing him in movies where. It seemed no specific reason they they needed Hugh Grant to be in it, but hey, he's a name, and uh, people like to see him on screen. But uh, yeah, Four Rings and Funeral is really funny, um, and I would recommend this one to go back. It's currently streaming on HBO Max, so it should be highly accessible for a lot of people. And uh, I'm glad I gave it a watch, because like I said, it's not the typical movie I gravitate to, or the genre, I would say, that I gravitate to, but um, that's part of, you know, just kind of getting out there and watching movies. And, you know, it's not that the critics are always right, or that the majority of moviegoers are always right, just because it's highly rated doesn't mean each individual person's going to like it. But sometimes, you know, it is worth it just to see, well, let's let's check out um, these movies that everybody's buzzing about. And in this case, it turned out to be justifiably so, as far as I go. You know, I don't want to go into a full-length review of the movie, just kind of wanted to give a recommendation, get you in on stuff I'm watching, since, you know, all my other shows tend to be horror, so you're going to get all the horror recommendations, but this one, 
you're probably going to hear recommendations from me just outside of that genre. But with that said, yeah, we just released our episode of uh, Nope for Fresh Cuts. So check that out. It should be on the same uh, YouTube feed if that's where you check this out or Dark Discussions Network. And then uh, the latest episode of No More Room in Hell should be recording this coming up weekend where we're talking about, what are we talking about? The Haunting and um, The House on Haunted Hill, both the originals. A couple of old school movies that should be really fun. I mean, one's a William Castle movie, which you're always going to get fun out of uh, anything William Castle related. And, you know, The Haunting's another classic. Both of them had remakes that I would consider unsuccessful, critically and from the audience. And yeah, just kind of generic remakes, but check out those movies. I think one's on HBO Max and one's on Amazon Prime. So again, two movies that, uh, for most people, shouldn't be that hard to track down if they want to watch them before uh, listening to the episode. But uh, yeah, I mean, with that said, that's probably going to wrap up this segment so we can get right into the show with our guest, Jamie Sammons, and uh, her pick for us to watch, which uh, a classic vampire movie, Salem's Lot. Uh, hopefully everyone has seen it. If not, I highly recommend it. Now, it, it was originally a TV miniseries, which covered two nights, so if you're going to sit down to watch the whole thing, just know like it was split into like two 90-minute uh, parts. So it's a, it's a good solid three hours, but very worth it. Great performances. And, you know, one of the better TV movies or TV miniseries adaptions. It is a Stephen King story. So, yeah, I, I guess with that said... Uh, Thanks for enduring this opening segment, and let's get to the show. Ben Mears has been away too long, and now at last he's come home. The men fought at Valley Forge. Daddy, come back safe. Home to the childhood memories, to the old familiar faces, to a life unmolested by time. And with your saints, let him rejoice in your presence forever. We ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen. Home to Salem's Lot, a town too good to be true. What was that? Did you have notice the time when the boys left? We shouldn't have gone through the woods. It's a shortcut. Well, then we should have been here half an hour ago. Wait! Danny, wait! Something is happening. Something terrible. Henry! Where's Ralph? Ralph. Where's your brother? Once the kid disappears, then this. You're not leaving Salem's lot, are you? I'm not leaving. Don't you understand what's happening? You? Yes, I do. It's in the Marston house. Good evening. A dream. You slept there all night? Yeah. A little tired. Didn't sleep much last night. I was dreaming. Somebody out there. Sweet. Sweet dream. I let him in. Oh, it's only all just happened since... Since I came here. It wasn't a dream.
You can do nothing against the master. They're breeding on one another. The vampires are creating vampires. The master wants you. It's a geometric progression. Two times two times four times eight. There's a dead man upstairs. Bill! Yeah, you know, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Look at me. Ned Tebbett's body has disappeared from the morgue. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Bill! And Susan's in there! Run! No! Look at him! best-selling author of Carrie and the Shining takes you on a startling journey to Salem's Lot. Okay, I am here with the guest that I kind of did a mini introduction for uh, before uh, the break. So I'm going to welcome her in right now, Jamie Sammons. How the hell is it going? It's It's been a while since we've uh, recorded together. What's going on? It has been a while, but uh, things are going well. You know, Brian and I are chugging along with Horror in the House of Sammons. And, that, and then I do the monthly show with Bo, What You're Watching, where we talk about anything. And... That's pretty in much life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that in life. <laughs> yeah. So it's like similar to the first. So the first episode, um, the guest was uh, Doug Tilly, who I know you're familiar with. And uh, similarly, uh, it's it's a person that I've pretty much known my entire podcasting time. Uh, go. We go way back. Obviously, we co-hosted a show together, uh, Evil Episodes, for uh, what a handful of years. About a. I think we got right about to 140 episodes somewhere around there and uh man yeah it's it's crazy to think all the years that went by i was in my late 20s when i started that show can you believe that (laughs) yeah it's uh time flies it it's been oh god when was that was that like 2008 Eight? Okay. Whoa. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. You and I met on Horror Palace, and you had already been doing evil episodes, but your co-host at the time, Derek, was not able to... I think he wasn't... He never intended to be a permanent host anyway. No, right? that's, that's correct. So, like, when I, when I started it, it was... It was pretty much me doing a solo show for like one or two segments, and then I would try to bring on a guest to talk about like whatever show. And it the first episode was at the conclusion of the first season of Walking Dead because that first season was only the six episodes. So we did like a two-parter for episode one and two. And I think like one or both of those, Derek just happened to be in my house like hanging out. And then... So uh, I just ended up asking him because he watched like a lot of the shows, too. And I figured out quickly that, like, if I'm going to try to book a guest every single episode, that's going to be tough for a main show. Like this this show that I'm doing now, this is more of a sidecast. It's like get it done when I can do it. But for a main show to have to, like, book someone in back then, it was like a lot more of a new frontier. Like, I didn't know the amount of people podcasting that i do now so back then it was even harder to like find people 
to even do it. So he kind of helped me out. And then you were doing Devour, right? Devour the podcast at the time. Yeah. With Dave. Uh, it was just David and me back then. Yeah. And I don't even know exactly what like compelled me. Cause like, I didn't know you super well at the time. I mean, I knew of you and I'm sure we like talked on the side, you know, just for whatever reasons. And maybe it's because I had heard you or seen you like talking about TV. And I was like, Oh, well now I know someone out there actually watches these shows too. And back back then it was like the main three were uh, walking dead, American horror story. And Dexter was like in its later uh, run. Yeah. And, uh, that kind of was like a launching point for like a horror TV resurrection at the time. Cause then we started getting just tons of shows to where, well, it got to the point where we couldn't keep even up. keep up. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, it got to the point where like, okay, this new show coming out, we're giving it two episodes. And if it doesn't <laughs> interest us after that, we're cutting it. Cause I, we can't force ourselves to watch this just for the sake of the show. Like no way it's going to happen. Cause we already have stuff to talk about. Yeah, um, there were even times when we split off, like if new shows came up, we would split off and you know, like you would try a show and I would try a show. And then if either of us thought that it was worth it, then we would, you know, keep talking about it. But, yeah, I had ve- we had very little time to spare for crap. <laughs> so, but it was a good time for horror TV. It just got to be to the point where we like, yeah, we can't keep up. There's so much. Yeah, and, and and it's funny because when I, I I think I mentioned it to you, I'm sure through the years, probably even like at the very beginning when I first tried to court you onto the show, my original vision of the show was really more catered to like stuff from the vault, like you know how we covered Tales from the Dark Side and Monsters. Right. That was really when I was kind of envisioning like how I wanted the show to go. That was like really supposed to be the main focus because at the time there was only a few shows, so I was like, oh well. These three shows, if they keep running, because we didn't even know at the time how long they would last, we'll talk about those like to open the show. But mainly, I want to do this other stuff. But then so many shows started popping up. That's like it turned into like the retro stuff was like the segment at the end that we would have time to do, and then we were just busy talking about all the other stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, back then I was kidless, so like I had more free time to like just watch all the shows and. That's the main reason that show came to an end. Just not not the time to uh, watch everything. But it was a good it was a good run, I think. And at the time, I don't think there was much else covering TV, you know, other than people might mention it during their shows and all. Yeah, that. I don't recall there being any other dedicated TVs. Yeah, TV podcast, you know, a horror TV podcast, at least mm-hmm. back then. Yeah, and then we eventually made our way to uh, Horophilia, which was probably like the prime of like us and a bunch of other shows where it was, it kind of seemed like a family within the network, you know, where like yeah. everyone kind of got to know each other. Everyone was like showing up on each other's shows. That was probably like my favorite time of, of the podcasting era, just as far as like the family aspect to it. And for the most part, back then, it seemed like most people got along. I mean, that, that might have been short-lived, but there was a period of time when it seemed like, for the most part, everyone was kind of in it together, as they say, you know? Yeah, and then we had Corey, mm-hmm. and then Brian came on. Brian came on, yep. And then any um, 
people that were unlucky and foolish enough to say yes to guest spots on our like Tales from the Dark Side monster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it never failed. If any, if there was a guest, it was going to be shitty episodes. <laughs> it's just, and it, we didn't plan it that way. It was just by design. Yeah, it's 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 uh, always great when you have to like apologize to the guest ahead of time for like what they've just signed up to do. <laughs> <laughs> and you remember Doug Barnes used to come on our show. Yeah. Um, do you still talk to him? Oh yeah, I mean he he was actually my friend since high school, so we we still see each other like weekly. We go disc golfing together. I go to his house for like UFC fights. Um, my my oldest. It, my oldest daughter is the same age as his youngest son. So like, they're kind of, they're friend. Like as far as like, you know, they see each other whenever I'm over there, I usually take them with me. So like they're, they're friendly and all that stuff. So yeah, we, we still hang out all the time. That's He's cool. still doing his theme park podcast. So, but like, you know, much like me with having kids and stuff, he slowed down on it, but it's still out there and it's still running and all that. So that's cool. But, uh, yeah, this memories, man, lots of stuff going down. Now, when I originally asked you, I was like, man, I don't know if she's going to have time because like, she's got a lot going on. She's got her shows that she's putting out. Uh, so r- currently you're doing, uh, you, you kind of brought back ABCs under like the banner of, uh, the show, what in uh, the horror in the house of salmons, right? It's all it kind of melded into one big show. Is that correct? Yeah, because uh, we had the first season of the ABCs of Hidden Horror. It was Brian and Dave and me, and we went through the alphabet. And but we were simultaneously doing Attack of the Colossal Collection. We were kind of leapfrogging, like one like one release would be ABCs and then the next one would be Attack of the Colossal Collection, which is that ongoing god awful experiment that I made that I made Brian do with me where we're going through our entire collection in alphabetical order. And holy crap, it's taking forever and we're still in the seas. But um we were doing those as separate entities. And then, you know, Dave he needed to slow down his podcasting and he really just wanted to focus on exploding heads. So he left and then we just kind of stopped for a while. And I was like, well, that's it. I'm out, you know, like I'm done. Cause I've been doing it for a long time. I'm mean, over a decade. And I was just like, I'm, you know, I'm kind of done with it. Like it was just, I was tired, you know, but then after we had been away from it for a while, Brian and I started talking and I'm like, you know, I really want to do something because it's it's fun for us to do together and it's easy for us to do together because we live in the same house. So it's not a problem as far as scheduling is concerned, which is, you know, as a longtime podcaster, you'll know that that is one of the biggest things you have to overcome as a as a podcaster who has hosts or like co-hosts is that, you know, scheduling can be a nightmare. So it's not a problem with us. We just do it whenever we feel like it, you know, whether it's like eight o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. Okay. That never happens. But if it's (laughs) like 11 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday or, you know, two o'clock in the morning on a Friday night, like it doesn't, it's whatever we feel like doing and whenever we feel like doing it. So 
I was like, it'll be easy for us. Let's just start it again. But we couldn't figure out the format that we wanted to go with. But we didn't want to abandon the original ABC's idea that Brian had come up with. So I was like, all right, well, we'll just create a whole new show. We'll call it Horror in the House of Salmons, which is like a running joke in here because I, I – for several years have just been referring to this as the house of salmons as a joke. And then uh, I was like, well, we'll call it horror in the house of salmons and it'll be fun. And we'll just do all of it. We'll do ABCs as one segment and we'll do the collection as another segment. And then I was like, I want something to break up, to break those up. So that's when I came up with the bumps in the night segment, which is really just a discussion segment where we can talk about anything. And so yeah, that it just became like one big long show. And I've been really happy with it. You know, it's been going really well. We get a lot of good feedback. I love our listeners and we put out two shows a month regularly. So it's been really easy. So probably the easiest show I've ever done as far as, you know, getting them out on a regular basis. Yeah, I have noticed like on your guys' posts when you post them on social media, you guys get good engagement. And that's probably something like every show wants. Like, of course, you want people to listen like you would like the listenership to be a good amount of people. But like if you just get like, you know, a handful of people leaving comments about whatever on the show, that's like even more rewarding than just having listeners, you know, at least for me. No, it is. We've actually started. Well, it's been going for a while now, but I will read comments or messages that people send us because we get messages through email, through Facebook Messenger, Twitter, and like on the, and then people post on the page. So I've gotten just, I start off the show now with reading out the feedback that we get. And that has led to some really good discussion. It has encouraged people to participate more in the discussion, which I love. And uh, I, I really like to make I, I love involving the listeners and I love because that's the whole reason I started doing uh, podcasting way back when at all was because I wanted to have conversations about horror with other horror fans. So mm-hmm. bringing in the listeners in that manner allows us to do that and so people who aren't on Facebook, for instance, still get to hear what other people say on Facebook, you know. And so and we've even started incorporating the Patreon messages in there so that because people will make comments on Patreon, but not everyone's going to see that. So I have started reading those out, too. And I mean, it's gone really well. We've gotten um some really good engagement, uh, not just with the conversation, but also when we'll say something like on the last episode we put out, we did uh, for the Bumps in the Night segment, we did our top 10 possession films that are not The Exorcist because uh, we knocked that one right because that's going to be both of our number one. There's no point in even including it because we know that out of the gate. And we've had people give us their lists, you know, since that show came out. So I'm really excited that on the next episode, I'll get to read out those lists, you know, and it's it's fun. Like people like to be involved and I love for people to be involved. So it's we have a really good time. Yeah. And, you know, we've between the both of us, we've been doing this so long that 
the kind of landscape of podcasting has changed so much. Like I, I always like, re, I always reiterate to people like if if you have podcasters that are like are are, are our age or even older in some cases, like for the most part, most of us we're we are literally just horror fans doing this. You know, now a lot of like the bigger podcasts, it's, it's someone in different industries that decided to like take up podcasting as like something to do on the side. Like you, you know, actors, musicians, or just people famous for other reasons. Mick Garris has a podcast. Everybody has a podcast. Everybody has one. So the entry point seems a little more difficult where for us, Going back to like the the reason why I think engagement is the most rewarding part for me um, is is because you know we're literally just horror fans looking to have the conversations right we're not we're not doing this to tell other people how it should be we're just having conversations that are recorded so any anyone that looks to add to our conversations from the show is like awesome to me. Even if they yeah. disagree with me and tell me I'm stupid because of like what I, I don't care. Like at least you're having the conversation because chances are my co-hosts are the same thing. So I don't take offense to that. Like I, I still appreciate uh, the engagement regardless. Whereas like, you know, who knows, like, you know, if an actor's in a podcast, what the hell, they probably don't care what anyone has to say about it, you know? And I, I'm yeah, obviously had to generalize and put them all into one bucket, but you know, Really, I mean, for the most part, it's it's there is a there is a divide there. There's a separation there because you're not going to listen to like I'll just use this example again. You're not going to listen to the Mick Garris podcast and then go and get into a personal conversation with him. You know, it's just yeah, he doesn't have the time for that. Nor and and they're just it's like he's up here. You know, <laughs> it's like I'm not going to reach out to him. But we are just other fans so people can reach out to us and people can have conversations with us and that's the whole point you know i'm not just doing it just so i can you know hear my own voice i do it because i want to engage people i want to hear people's opinions and whether i agree with them or not i don't care i just like the conversation yeah exactly and i think that's that's kind of what has kept me doing all these years like even uh, because i go through the same cycles where like i feel like whatever i'm doing at the present moment is stale or i'm just kind of tired of this specific format or whatnot but i've never been able to completely just say i'm not doing it anymore like maybe i want to do something different or add like a new segment or twist to what i'm doing but i just enjoy the conversation with people you know even when yeah. it sounds like it gets heated to people, it, it's it's really not. I mean, it, 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 it's no. it's like a friendly, emotional thing, I guess. No, we used to, there were times where you and I have gotten into it, and people, I've had, like, are you guys okay? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> we're fine. That's the point. It's, is We just get passionate, but that doesn't mean you're angry, you know, or that you're, I mean, hell, Brian and I will do it, too, and people get a kick out of it because he's always, you know, he'll just say that I'm on crack. He's <laughs> like, you're on crack and you hate good things. And I'm like, ah, shut up, you know, but uh, we're not angry with each other over it. We're just passionate about what we're talking about. And that's the kind of stuff I like to listen to. I want to hear people with a little bit of passion when they're discussing something, mm-hmm. you know, so I think it's fun. 
Yeah, and I, and like going back to the kind of horophilia era, I think that's what like to reiterate that why I felt it was special is because I think when you had such a large group of people all doing their own shows with all their own flavor of how they want to do their shows, but they could come together because we all knew each other well enough that we had the comfortable the comfortable dynamic that like voices could get raised and it was no big deal. Like no one got like mad or walked away yeah. from the show. Like I'll never talk to that person. Like that just didn't happen back then. No, I mean, is it, there is, as a matter of fact, something you have been making fun of me for, for 12 years. Do you know what that is? You know, um, I might have to look up a date on a certain movie, but uh, <laughs> what, uh, I'm trying to think, is it just one thing or is it, is this a multiple choice? <laughs> is it just one thing? Um, <laughs> okay. I'll narrow it down. It's a remake. Yeah. Did it come out in 2010? I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's the movie. Like I, at one point I almost decided just to stop talking about the movie period because I, I feel like it's not that like either of us changed our opinion so much, but it's like, do we really do either one of us really want to get dragged down this <laughs> lane again? Cause I know if like you say something about it or I say something about it and the other one catches wind, then other people like, are there, is someone else going to like push us into the conversation to even talk about it? But of course, Jamie's talking about the infamous nightmare on Elm street remake. Correct. <laughs> I am. That is true. Yeah. Oh, uh, you still like it? I do. <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I don't think I've seen it in like many, many years. So I guess you got that much on me. Like I, to even talk about it properly, I'd have to rewatch it. So regardless of whether what my opinion was on it, I, I'm sure I will be watching it again eventually because for whatever reason, I'm sure it'll come up where I need to know more details about it and then uh it'll have a it's not it's uh next day in court with me so uh but until then i can keep making fun of you about it i guess <laughs> <laughs> and it's fine you know what we're still friends i don't take it personally <laughs> <laughs> cool well uh speaking of movies so yeah for anyone i mean this is only episode two so i'm sure there's probably people tuning in for the first time so Basically, what I wanted to do with this show is uh, bring on a guest each episode. Um, it, it just happens to be the first two are people I podcast many years with. Uh, there's going to be times when, like, that's not the case. But that is the case uh, with uh, Jamie. And, you know, when I reached out to you and you accepted and we got it all scheduled and all that, I was like, okay. Once I explain the format to her, which is basically I want the guest to pick a movie and um non-horror specific but it can be horror i was like if jamie sticks to horror i'm thinking it's either gonna be a werewolf movie but if it's not <laughs> it's gonna be this other movie because i know it's one that you've you know it, it's been an important movie to you since i can remember since I, i've been talking to you it seems like a movie that will always come back to you for whatever reason so it's almost like I gave you like the perfect next opportunity to talk about it some more. Um, but I'll let you tell everybody what it is you pick. So what what movie did you decide to bring to the show today? I love that you saw it coming. <laughs> um, it is uh, Salem's Lot from 1979. 
And it is a very important film to me because it is the first film that, and even though it was a TV, it was a miniseries, it was on TV, but I watched it when it aired, which was November of 79. So I had just turned five uh, that previous September, and we watched it as a family. It was my mom, my stepdad, my two stepsisters, my stepbrother, and myself. We all gathered around the TV, and we watched both nights of it. And it is the first film to have a visceral effect on me to the point where, uh, and I'm sure I've told you this before, but until I was 12, I slept with my neck covered solely because of this film. And I, to this day, if you want to freak me out, you can scratch on my window and I will, I will climb the ceiling. Like it just, I watched it last night in preparation for this even though I didn't really have to you know I didn't need to but it's never a hardship so I uh, I watched it for this and I, honestly I was paying more attention last night because I knew we were going to be talking about it and it's been a while since I've just sat down and watched it it's it's one of those movies that I've seen it so many times that it just sort of can play in the background and mm -hmm. I'll look up at specific times or whatever. But this time I like focused hard and I was really paying attention. And I noticed some things I'd never noticed before. And I realized some things about it. And I still think that there are scenes in that film that are genuinely terrifying. Like they, at least for me. Yeah, and not to mention because I knew going in, I was like, this is probably a movie she doesn't even need to rewatch for the show and not only that but it's it's funny because when it comes to these tv miniseries if you watch them when they you know first release on tv you get the whole miniseries thing because it's usually split between either two or three nights yeah. but when you watch it just as a movie straight through there ain't nothing mini about it so like the fact that you took what three plus hours to uh watch it i'm like yeah you gotta have love the movie to commit yourself to three hours because that's that's a chunk of time you know you've got other stuff going on and uh yeah i think like the first movie that i did that with would have been it uh it was over two nights and it's like it's such it's so different like just trying to watch the movie straight out because it's like wow this is actually pretty long when you just watch it as one long movie as opposed to splitting it up right I think that's cool. Yeah, you watch it as a family uh, together. As far yeah, and it, when you see the PG rating, it's like that could have just been because of the time. Because I I, I was watching it uh, in prep as well, and I was like, you know, I don't know if this came out today if it would be PG. Do you think it would be maybe PG thirteen? Because even though there's, I wouldn't say anything in this movie's graphic. It just feels like today, like if if a movie's trying to be scary, like, they're not going to say it's PG just because, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, in 70s PG is very different from today's PG anyway. And now I don't even know. I If they were to air it for the first time on TV now, uh, they'd probably put a warning in the front of it, you know, <laughs> for little kids or whatever. Um, back then it was, well, first of all, just in the 70s, horror on TV as far as like movies were concerned, was a big commodity. It was a big deal. And I love, I have a deep love for 70s and early 80s TV movies. And 
anybody who was a former listener of evil episodes, you know, probably knows that because we talked about it all the time, but it was, they had a big audience and there were some really great, great movies that came out that if you go back now and watch them, you're like, wow, this was a TV movie. Like it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was impressive. They were so, serious. Yeah. And today, uh, well, they did do a re, you know, they did a remake of it years after and like in the nineties and it, I don't think it's as scary as the original. And I don't think that's just me. I mean, I don't think it's just because it had such an impression on me that I just, you know, hold it in such high regard. I do, but I don't think that's why I, I think this the remake was not as scary. I think it just isn't. <laughs> and so you, the, yeah, the way things were. And then, of course, now you look at things like The Walking Dead, which was very graphic and very visceral, and Hannibal, which, as long as it was on Bates Motel, we've had some really, but actually, of those, Hannibal was the only network show, I think, because mm-hmm. I, I want to say Bates Motel was on FX or. Uh, either FX or A&E. Or some, something like that. It was a like a basic cable channel, but it, but Hannibal was actually a network show. But even that didn't last, and I think that was probably because it was so uh, like genuinely horrific. <laughs> They're like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, and it, it felt like Hannibal was another case of the audience finding it after the fact because it, it seemed like more people talked about Hannibal after it was off NBC than when it was actually airing going. And like, all I could think of was like, where the hell were you people? Like if you actually watched it when it was airing, it might still be airing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Because the people who were fans of the show while it was airing were real pissed when that show got canceled. But yeah, the, the landscape of television changed just like everything else. But if, I would say it would probably land at like a PG-13. There's nothing in it that would, I would think, deserve an R rating. But to me, there's nothing in it that deserves a PG-13 rating. I mean, I think a PG is just fine uh, for this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, it did scare the crap out of me. But I love it for that. That's what, you know, what horror fan doesn't like to find something that really scares them? You know, I was fortunate that my parents were both horror fans and I got to see if they saw it, I saw it, you know, and I, I will, I will always be grateful for that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I still, one of my youngest memories was the first season of Tales from the Crypt. I, I snuck down the stairs to like watch over the arm of the couch because my parents <laughs> were watching it and I was so scared of them, like, seeing that I was trying to sneak and watch it. And once they noticed me, they didn't even care. They just like, oh, if you want to watch it, just come sit on the couch and watch. I was like, oh, cool. Like, and my parents, <laughs> they, they weren't even, like, horror-specific. They did, like, watch some scary stuff. But my parents were just pretty open to letting me watch, you know, whatever. Um, they just gave me this spiel of, like, it's entertainment uh, it's not to be mimicked in life, and that's about all it took you know, for me to understand. And uh, yeah, I'm glad because that helped, sh- you know, that shaped all my interests from a young age. Now, had you ever read the Salem's Lot novel? Not prior to seeing the film, 
because I was five, but I did. I I eventually, when I got a little older, not that much older, I was still in elementary school and I, you know, discovered, well, I had already, I was in love with Carrie. So Carrie was the first Stephen King book that I read because I loved the movie so much. Then when I found out that he also wrote Salem's Lot, I was like, well, let me read that, you know, and that started my love affair with Stephen King. And uh, yeah, I've read it at least three times. Now, now the reason I ask is because now I, I haven't read it, so I don't know. Um, I don't know how faithful the adaption is or not, but to me, it it feels like if if, if I didn't know Salem's Lot was based on a Stephen King novel, uh, and someone told me, I would believe them at face value because it feels like a Stephen King novel adaption when you're watching it. And the reason I say that is because this movie's not shy about going into like the details of the lives of like all the characters, like characters right. in other movies that would be like simple side characters that just show up for a scene or two to like push the story or give some exposition. No, we, we like spend quality time with many people in this town where yeah. today, if they tried to make Salem's lot, they'd make like, you know, a 90 minute quick hitting movie where a vampire shows up and kills people and then gets killed. And that that's it. But here I feel like there was genuine effort and that's probably, uh, um, a benefit of doing the TV miniseries is you get more time to flesh characters out, which is almost a must with Stephen King adaptions, right? Because he's going to go into details with characters, but I, I really appreciate this watch because I hadn't seen it in a, in a while, uh, to be honest. So watching it this time, I was just like, wow, like there is some care going into, and it was uh, Toby Hooper, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And if you pay attention, you can tell that there are some direct nods that Toby Hooper put in there uh, just of himself. Um, And uh, I love that. That's another thing I love about it. You know, I think they got the right I think they got the right director to to make this adaption. And yeah. And as far as the characters are concerned, I think anybody if they tried to adapt a Stephen King novel and leave out the characterization, which sometimes you're forced to do just for runtime purposes. But when you have I think that's why so many of his properties have been made into miniseries is because they know yeah. if they try to chop that out, people are going to be mad because that's what people love about him is his attention to detail and his rich characters. So like take for, take, for instance, with this film. We spend a lot of time with Boom Boom Bonnie and Cully, (laughs) Um, like a lot of time with them and their relationship. And then they leave town before anything really goes down. So, or, you know, before the meat of the story, before it gets heavy. So they really aren't even there for the Salem, like the, what we know to be Salem's lot. uh, Version like they don't ever come into contact with, vampires themselves or they don't even seem to know about it they never mention it but we have spent a lot of time with those characters and then just for them to leave town but i don't i don't look at it and go well what was the point of that you know no i enjoy spending time with those characters and getting to know the people of this town and i think part of that is because it is a small town and in a small town you have 
all of these little in, interconnected stories with all of these people and everybody knows everybody's business. That's just the way it is in a small town that goes all the way back to Peyton Place. And so it's or even farther back than that, really. But that was what everybody refers to when they talk about small towns, or at least I'm old. I, I guess people don't probably still use that reference, but it's. You know that in a small town, everybody knows what everybody else is doing. So it only makes sense. Yeah. And you you almost need it in that type of uh, situation. You need the interconnectivity between the characters because you can't have, you know, like the town sheriff. You can't just have him randomly show up and just know people. No, we need scenes where they're interacting and he he knows the townsfolk and he's, you know, um, interacting with random daily uh situations that aren't even you know they they don't even rise to like emergency but he's just there because he's a town sheriff now you mentioned cully and boom boom bonnie and something that really hit home with me about like the care um for the craft was i felt one of the most tense scenes in the entire movie is when cully was confronting uh larry and bonnie uh yeah with the affair that the whole time when he gets uh, Larry by himself and with the shotgun and he's just hold this shotgun now raise it to your head and you're just wondering like are we gonna get like a non vampire uh, driven death here because what the hell is gonna happen here and and then you, you realize like he's pissed off and just trying to scare him scare him away but I thought that just was like one of the most super tense scenes in the entire movie and that just goes to show like when you care about the characters and you really want to make like you know uh characters with depth those are the type of scenes you put in the movie as opposed to just throw away characters that kind of show up for a few minutes just to be vampire fodder like larry dying immediately after that at the hands of you know mm-hmm. our, our vampire i think that almost catches you just by as much surprise because he's just survived this super tense moment. He's going to get out of there, you know, with his dignity uh, lowered, but okay, he's going to survive the situation. Nope. Just to get murdered in his what silk boxers. <laughs> yeah. His red silk boxer shorts. And that actually has that confrontation scene has one of my favorite lines in the movie. And it's a very, uh, understated moment. It's not something that if you bring up Salem's Lot, nobody's going to quote it or anything like that, but it just, it sticks out to me. And it's when Cully's holding the gun in Larry's face and he's like, see how easy, and he's telling him, he's like, hold it up to your face. Now don't move, don't move, you know, cause, and he's like, you know, this trigger has a five pound pull and I've got about three on it right now. He's like, so don't move that barrel, you know, and it's very like I just got chill thinking about it because it's very tense. But he he says something to Larry that always uh, gets my attention. And it's like I said, very subtle. But he says, see how it how easy it is to have self-control. And that right there is a message to Larry that you have been fucking around with my wife. And see how easy it is to have self-control. Maybe you should practice that self-control in the future. You know, and he doesn't actually say all of that. All he says is see how easy it is to have self-control. But I like that. You know, I I just I like that moment. I like that Mm -hmm. moment with Cully. And even though he ends up like going in and slapping Bonnie around, we don't see it, but we hear it. Um, And you're like, you know, like you're like, that's not good. But at the same time, you 
can also see where he has been. He's known this is going on for a while. He was just waiting for the moment to catch them. So he's got all of this pent up rage. And it's just you you've seen it build throughout the film leading up to that. And then, yeah, Larry just gets killed and they leave town. But we I think those moments with them are important. Yeah, exactly. And and I don't always like in a movie like this where the characters are three dimensional, they're not just, you know, flat. I think it's not always important that you have to agree with every decision by every character. It's just that right. they come off as real people. And to me, as in human. that situation, it, yeah, it felt like raw emotion and something that could very well happen. Like whether that's the personal or the, whether that's the route that you know, you personally would take is irrelevant. And that's just what this character uh, chose to do. And, you know. Yeah. And it's a very realistic reaction to the situation. Well, like you said, whether or not you agree with it or whether or not it's the route you would take, it is a very realistic reaction to the situation. It's a very human reaction to the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, I know you mentioned earlier the, the vampire. Well, I guess it happens a few times, but that first time with the scratching on the window, yeah, that's 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 nightmare fuel right there. Because you know how many, you know, at I night. I attest to that. <laughs> when you're, at, yeah, when you're at night and you're relaxing, if you're in any type of room with any type of window or sliding glass door, there's always the potential for a random noise to happen just for whatever reason. But after watching a movie like this you're suddenly not treating that noise as random anymore. <laughs> you're like looking, you're worried. You're like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> Why? Please stop noise. Um, but I, anytime a movie can do that, you know, it, it's effective on what it's uh, trying to do. Yeah. Well, let me tell you, uh, years ago when I was living alone, I had a little apartment and we knew each other at the time. So I may have even told you this story, but I um, was reading a Richard Matheson book one night. I don't remember what I was reading. Oh, it was a book of short stories. And I had just, I was reading Prey. And <laughs> I suddenly started to hear my, my air conditioning unit was right out. I was on the ground floor and my air conditioning unit was outside my window. And I heard what sounded like someone tapping on my window, like a steady just tap, tap tap on my window and I am not exaggerating when I tell you that I did an army crawl over to that window I was terrified I was like who the fuck is outside my window I was just picturing Danny Glick outside my window and I was just like who's outside my window so I started doing this army crawl over there to peek out and I discovered it was the it was the condensation from the apartment above me from their uh, they had a window unit and their window unit was dripping down onto my air conditioning unit. <laughs> so it was making this really loud sound, but that sounded like tapping, but it was really just water dripping. So, but it freaked me out so bad. I couldn't sleep until I had to get a piece of, I got a little piece of sponge and I went outside and I put it right under the drip so that it would uh, muffle the sound. And then I was finally able to go to sleep, but I was terrified. I mean, like I am never going to sleep again. Somebody's outside my window terrified. And um, and that was just a few years ago. So that's exact. That's how long 
this film has been in the back of my brain. Like it just anytime I hear any kind of noise outside, that's immediately what I think of. Yeah, the first thing I did when we when we got this house is I bought blackout curtains for the for the back door because I was like, I don't want any sliver of uh, <laughs> outside reflection or anything because there's just so much stuff out there that can just fool you into thinking it's something that's not there. And I, I was like, I don't want to deal with that in the middle of the night. Yeah, Being the night owl I am. <laughs> oh right, yeah. I mean. Shoot. I mean, I'm not I'm not ashamed to admit it that there are movies that affect me uh, repeatedly, uh, like Exorcist 3. And I just talked about this on our last episode. Every time we watch Exorcist 3, Brian has to walk me to the bathroom after the movie because I have to pass by four doors from our living room to our bathroom. And, uh, you know, if you've seen Exorcist 3, you know why I don't want to walk past doors, you know? (laughs) So it's uh, that one still gets me to this day. And there are a handful of movies that do that. And even last night when I was watching Salem's Lot, like I think one of the scariest scenes, apart from the Glick boys, which are the things that haunted me from way back. But I love the scene with Jeffrey Lewis where he comes back and he's just sitting in the rocking chair when uh, when Jason walks in the room. I think that's a really tense moment. And really scary, too, because he pushes Jason, like forces him out of the room with a crucifix, but he falls through the window as he's, you know, being forced out of the room. He breaking the window. And every single time I'm like, God damn, now that window's open. You can't close that window. What if they come back? I mean, like it just it freaks me out. And even though they can't come in without an invitation, that doesn't make me feel any better. <laughs> so that I think is a scary scene. And also Marjorie Glick, when they go to the, uh, the funeral home to see if she's going to come back. And then she does come back and she just raises up under the sheet. And then she's like, Danny, where are you? My boy, <laughs> you know, ca- calling for her son. And then when the sheet, when she pulls the sheet down that is the most terrifying vampire I think I've ever seen. It's just, it's the makeup is so scary. The eyes, they do that little glowy thing. Oh, that glow. It's almost like a transparent glow. It's, Oh, it's creepy. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think like you could do the eyes with zero, anything else on them. And it would be creepy. Yeah. It's super creepy. And then their fangs. And the fact I think too, that adds to it with, as far as the Glick boys are concerned is their boys, their little boys. These are little boys, and you're not afraid of little boys, but you are when they're friggin' vampires. You know, uh, another scene that stuck with me was when uh, Jeffrey Lewis was covering over the grave, and he ended up going into the grave of Danny and opening up the casket. And then they did this really great, uh, the way it was framed, I thought was just really well done, was that it was framed with Jeffrey Lewis like a a profile shot of just his head. And then he's looking up at the sky because he's like, it's starting to, the wind is picking up. sounds like there might be a storm rolling in. So he starts looking up at the sky. And when he looks back down, Danny just is boom right there in his face. And uh, when I was a kid, I remembered before I saw the movie again, I remembered it as a, what I remembered was a father had gone and kind of like pet cemetery you know, where uh, Lewis goes to dig up Gage. That's what I was picturing in my head. It turns out he was just a grave digger, but 
for years, I remembered it as a heartbroken father trying to dig up his son when it turns out the son hadn't even been buried yet. <laughs> it was just a grave digger that was supposed to be burying him. But it's funny how your memory plays with you uh, and on things like that. But that stuck out to me. And so really, when I was a kid, the things that stuck out to me were the specifically the vampire moments. But then as I watch it now, I pick up on uh, so many other things. And like one of the things I was talking about with, and I'm sorry, I keep running on, but it's just, this is like one of my all-time favorite things. That's, um, well, that's what I brought you here for. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, one of the things I was talking about when I said that, you know, Toby Hooper has some really nice moments in there. If you look at the set design of the Marsden house, when you first walk in, there are just what looked to be feathers all over the floor. And Brian and I were kind of making fun of it last night because I was just like, what has had gone on in this house while it was empty? You know, but it looks very Texas Chainsaw. And there's even a and the doctor gets impaled on some horns that are on a, just a random red wall with uh, like trophy horns and stuff sticking on it, which to me, I, I don't see any other, I don't see anything other than that being a direct nod to the wall. We first see Leatherface, you know, when he, uh, when he slams the door, that scene in the first movie, right, right. I, I, I see nothing but a, Texas Chainsaw reference. That's all I see. And I don't see any way around it. But he also, I noticed, referenced Psycho. Uh, there were so many I was picking up on last night that I've never really noticed before. But cam specific camera angles that he used, um, specifically the Psycho one was, and it actually served. And oh, and the thing I love about it is that they're not shoehorned in just for the sake of being there. They actually serve a purpose, but you can tell that he was specifically referencing something else. So like at the end, when um, they're trying to kill Barlow in the, in his casket and he's just hammering away on, on the stake and he ends up like hitting the above the, the overhead light with his hammer. The angle of that shot looks very much like the psycho shot when, uh, when her sister comes in at the end and ends up hitting the light with her hand when she throws up her hand. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'm like, okay, well, that's clearly a psycho reference. But the thing I love about that is then simultaneously it serves as the, as the light is swinging back and forth, we get this amazing reveal of these vampires crawling closer to the kid in the crawl space. Like they're trying to crawl out of the crawl space, but every time the lamp swings in their direction, it shed, you know, it shines light on them and they get a little bit closer and then it swings away and it's dark and then it swings toward them and they're a little closer and then it swings away. And that was brilliant, brilliant and terrifying. Like I really think it was a very successful moment. Honestly, there are very few things that I think don't work in this movie. So, and most of those really probably come down to budget. If mm -hmm. you uh, really pay attention to the boys at the windows, you can see the wire. Yeah, well, especially now on high definition. But when it first aired, that's not something we ever would have noticed. But now in high def, you can see the wire. If you look closely, you still have to look close. But they also look a little 
you know, the way that they're floating and the way that they, it's a little slow. It's a little obvious that they're on wires. Yeah, they're you know, it's definitely not constricted in their movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not fluid like it should be. And there are a couple of scenes like when Marjorie Glick, when he puts the, the cross to her head, his tongue depressor cross to her head and she disappears. Then there's like a couple of seconds before the um, the things surrounding her fall in on each other as she disappears, kind of like she created a vacuum. That's a great idea, but there's a couple of seconds you could have shaved off of there in editing that would have made it seem smoother and made it seem a little less clunky. And those are really the only things that I have issue with is that some of the scenes are clunkier than they should be. And if they were smoothed out a little bit, they'd be more effective. But we're also talking about a TV movie with a TV movie budget from the late seventies. So, you know, you kind of have to give them a little bit of play as far as that's concerned. But other than that, I mean, it's, it's still, even with those things, it's still a, and it has its cheesy moments. Like you can always tell when the commercials were coming <laughs> because just the way that the shots, the, the scenes would end, it was like, okay, there was a commercial there. Okay. There was a commercial there. Like you can tell, but to me, that just sort of adds to the charm of it because I love TV movies. So I don't have an issue with that, but I can see where if someone were coming into it for the first time, they, it would look odd to them. Because it's not on TV and they're watching it all in one long thing. So it would probably come off as bizarre. Like, why did they cut that scene that way? Or why did they end it like that? You know, and it just it doesn't seem right. But, you know, when it aired on TV, there were no issues with that. It was clear why they did it. But, you know, so you just kind of have to overlook those things. And focus on the stuff that was done right. And I really think that the majority of it was done very right. I love the score. I love the town. I love the characters. You know, and and honestly, yeah, I to this day think these are some of the scariest vampires I've ever seen. Because they're also not, you know, they're not romantic vampires. They're yeah. monsters. And you mentioned the score and it could just be because of the era this came out. So they're probably utilizing a lot of what they grew up on, but I love the, uh, the influence of like pipe organ music. A lot of times yeah. whenever there's like a, a tense scene or when the vampires show up like that, I, I, I love the kind of like the Gothic leanings towards uh, the score in, in a lot of places and, you know, you were talking about nods and influence that went into this movie. Now, on the flip side, you know, when I was watching it this time, one of the biggest things that jumped out, out to me was, holy shit, did this influence Fright Night or what? Because <laughs> Oh, my God, I love that you said that. Because when we were watching it last night, I turned to Brian and I said, you realize this is really just Fright Night, but longer or no i said fright night is really just salem's lot but shorter shorter it is Mm -hmm. you know it it, and it's not comedic like fright night was like it's fright night's a little more lighthearted, but the story is virtually the same (laughs) yeah and and they they shifted the story to be kind of based around like you know a teenager obviously um but man like even um you brought up uh was a uh, Marjorie Glick. Uh, yeah. In the scene where she gets 
killed with the cross. I mean, was that not Evil Ed? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, with, with the yeah, cross on it, the head? It, it even yeah, looked, it the scar the looked similar, everything. too. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's exactly the same. And then Bonnie Bedelia coming back at the end and trying to seduce him very much uh, like the Amanda Bears character from from mm-hmm. Bright Night. You know, it's it it. Yeah, I was actually when I was watching this last night, I'm like, wow. Didn't like I wonder if Stephen, I've never heard if he thinks one way or another about Fright Night, but. I'm curious now because I'm like, God damn, it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And even, and like, I, I can't say for sure if Salem's lot, the the, the book or the movie is the first to do it, but it even, even something like the, uh, the familiar or the caretaker of the head vampire, like kind of showing yeah. up to town and establishing like the house first and kind of getting everything ready. That made me think of Fright Night too. Um, mm-hmm. So, even you the know. battle, like, think about this, too. And I didn't actually think about this last night. But when uh, the James Mason, when they do go into the house, he's coming down the stairs. I mean, it's very much like the final battle between, you know, the caretaker and Fright Night and the caretaker in this one are very similar. Just in even how they play out. I, I don't know. I. I never thought about that until I was watching it last night. But now that I, since I did think about it, I can't unthink it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm trying to think what is, uh, I think in the, in the show or in the, in the movie, I'm trying to think of her name. Uh, was it, uh, Susan, the way she kind of yeah. ends up as a vampire and that, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the mana bursting because it was like the love interest of the main guy ends mm-hmm. up like potentially the vampire queen, uh, uh, somewhat against her wishes. Right. I mean, it, it just, but then, yeah, I mean, to, she didn't want to exactly. And, um, but yeah, that but, it, it jumped out to me mostly on this, this most recent watch. Maybe it's because I also watched fright night not too long ago, just randomly. And, I was just like, wow, the the similarities are pretty striking. Yeah, I mean, Fright Night has a happier ending. Oh yes, Salem's <laughs> Lot does, but you know, and that actually, when you brought up the uh, Marjorie Glick scene with the cross, that's uh, there are two scenes that I dearly love with uh, David Soul, and one of those is when he's in the the funeral home and he's trying to put the cross to get the tongue to the the tongue depressor cross together and his hands are shaking and he's trying to recite the Lord's prayer, but, or not the Lord's prayer, but uh, Psalm 23, but he doesn't, he doesn't know it. (laughs) So he's stumbling over that. And he even says, he stops for a moment and says, no atheists in foxholes. And like, so he's not a religious guy, but he's trying really hard to uh, bring some kind of faith out because he knows it's what's going to help him. But I love the fact that as he's trying to tape this thing together, his hands are visibly shaking. He is terrified. And then at the end, when he's, they're about to go, they're about to open the door to the crawl space. He's like, he's fumbling. You know, he's like, okay, he pulls out the hammer and he pulls out the stake and he's like, oh, wait, I got to put this back and put this. Oh, I need this hammer. I got to knock this because he's trying to break the lock off the door with the hammer. But he's just he's fumbling and it's because he doesn't know what he's doing. He's never done this before. He's never had to do anything like this before. So he's scared. 
he knows that he could die at any moment and he has no idea what he's doing. And it's very realistic and it's endearing to the character because, you know, he doesn't come off as as one of those people that just, well, I just started doing this, but suddenly I'm an expert. You know, what's the male version of a Mary Sue? He ain't that. You know, <laughs> he uh, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's, he's feeling his way along as he's doing it and learning as he goes. And I think that that is those are really nice everyman moments. Yeah. And something that I, I had almost kind of forgotten that the movie kind of ends. I wouldn't say necessarily on a downer, but on like a, a non-conclusion conclusion because they've they've kind of taken out. Uh, a main bad guy vampire, but it's kind of left open ended where like, this is just kind of like the first step. And I guess what we're going to be doing from now on, which is uh, rooting out these vampires. And I kind of like how it's man. It's just a creative, cool way to do it. Like there's more. Oops. I, I accidentally muted my mic in the middle of that. Oh, okay, good. I thought it was on my end. I was like, what the hell happened? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I just, I, I like I like the way it kind of ends open-ended because it's like, yeah, this vampire's probably been out there making other vampires and Salem's Law is just like one little almost vampire nest created. So they're going to kind of go out there and take them out as the opportunities arise. Like that's now what they're going to be doing. Yeah. And you mentioned David. It's all his portrayal of Ben Mears. Now, like I said, another case where I didn't read the novel, but I don't know how accurate the character is to Ben Mears in the book, but what a guy. Like, is this just the nicest character? Like, it feels like every opportunity he always does, like, the the nice thing, and he's just a nice a nice guy, man. That yeah, ben well, Mears. he is. I mean, the sheriff tucks tail and leaves town when things start to go down. And he's like standing in the sheriff's driveway going, the town is falling apart and you're running away, you know, and Brian's like, well, if you were smart, you would, too. And I'm like, it's true, but he's too much of a good person. He can't do that. He can't turn his back on what's going on. You know, he knows what's happening and he is compelled to do something about it just because of who he is. And I love that about him. I I just he's honestly he's an unsung hero like he no one really ever talks about ben mears and as a heroic character or a beloved character but he really is a great guy and then at the end i what i love and you were talking about how it ended it ends in guatemala and uh, susan has found him and they have (laughs) now i i was making jokes last night about how you know oh they powered up since they beat the boss now they have the uh the glowing holy water (laughs) That glows when enemies are near, but they've simultaneously become reluctant vampire hunters and also victims on the run because they know they're being hunted. And so they're constantly moving because the vampires are coming after them. But at the same time, they're having to end up killing off the vampires. So they sort of have a duality there where, you know, we've become vampire hunters, but we really didn't want to, but this is, this is our life now. And I, I, I like that too. I like, it's just, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it's a, ah, 
It's just a a really great version of a Stephen King novel. And there are some differences, not many. It's it's pretty faithful for the most part. And um a couple of characters go out differently in the book than they do in the movie and things like that. But it's that tends to be, I think, more for the streamlining a story or budgetary reasons, but or maybe not being as graphic because it was TV. But for the most part, it's pretty faithful. And I think it's one of the best Stephen King adaptations that has ever been done. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. Like it. This was a great rewatch. Like I said, I hadn't seen it in a long time, and it, it was almost like a good thing you picked it because it like gave me an opportunity to rewatch something I hadn't seen in a long time. Now, my final question <laughs> related to this is: Have you seen Return to Salem's Lot? Because I have not ever seen it. I have. I've only seen it once, and it was a long time ago. And and when I, I say I, I know it seems like from what I I, I kind of looked up a little bit of reaction to it. it seems like you know it ranges from like mediocre to average what people were saying, but uh, I figured like let me see what Jamie has to say because I'm sure she's seen it. Yeah, Brian and I actually when I say a long time ago, it wasn't like 30 years ago or anything. It was um, probably mm, I'd say probably about eight years ago. Brian and I went through. Uh, we went through the original Salem's Lot, and then we did Return to Salem's Lot, which we had to track down. It was hard to find. And then we did the, the remake that they did, the the new t- TV miniseries they did a while back. And when I say new, yeah, that was like 30 years ago. But I don't – and I don't really remember a whole lot about it, and that's – I would actually like to watch it again, but I don't remember – I didn't outright dislike it or anything. It doesn't have the same, I don't think it has the same charm that this one has. And that's probably mostly because I have such a love for this one and I'm so familiar with it. But I don't remember disliking it. I just don't think it was as good. Yeah, I mean, I I should take the time to see it. Now, I don't even know, was it like another long miniseries or was it just like a 90 minute I think it was just a, I think it was just a a uh, like a regular movie length, but I could be wrong. Yeah, because I mean it wasn't based off like a any type of novel or anything. So yeah, it could have just been like, oh, let's bring people back to Salem's Lot to fight some more vampires. That, that yeah, that was like in eighty-seven, and yeah, it was an hour forty-one, so it wasn't. Yeah, it was just a regular movie. Cool. Well, yeah, I'll eventually watch it. I'm, I'm kind of surprised I haven't seen it before. It but. it has a well. This is the thing that I was. I remember being slightly disappointed because I was expecting it to be great because it was directed by Larry Cohen and it stars Michael Moriarty, and I love Cohen and Moriarty together. And uh, we get examples of that in uh, the stuff is the first thing that can cue the winged serpent. Michael Moriarty is Mm -hmm. the lead in that. So they work together very well. And I remember being super excited about it because I love Moriarty and I love Larry Cohen. But it wasn't I just didn't didn't 
just didn't have the same. Just didn't do it. Uh, not like not like the original did. But like I said, I didn't hate it. I just was hoping for more. Yeah, that's not a surprise. I mean, now a lot of times that happens when they just like you know a decade or so later. Let's just make another one because everyone liked the original one. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, I'm glad I brought you on and gave you a chance to talk about one of your favorite movies. And I'm glad that I was able to rewatch it. I was glad to be able to podcast with you again. I I feel like I know every time I do, I'm like, why do I let so much time go by between us doing something? Like, I don't even care what it is. Like, <laughs> just come up with an excuse to do something. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's been way too long. I don't even remember. Oh, I guess the last thing we did was. Oh, God, what was the last thing we did? <laughs> I don't even know. You guys might you were probably either guess on Fresh Cuts or No More Room in Hell, one of them. Um, I'm, I'm sure that's what it had. To yeah, be. it had to be that. But unless, well, maybe it was was it the summer series last year? I mean, I know we were both on it. I don't think we were on the same round table, though. Oh, yeah. I think okay. I was a uh, adjudicator for one of your years, but I don't think we were, like, on the same episode. Yeah, that seems right. Or it could just be my old man memory going out. <laughs> well, I mean, that. Yeah, don't even ask me what I did yesterday. I mean, to be honest. You know, which is why it always cracks me up whenever people bring up things I've said on shows. I'm like, I maybe I have no idea. Like, I don't I I say whatever falls out of my mouth and then I typically don't remember it. So the fact that I've been able to be as consistent as I have been over the years is kind of amazing. It means that I'm honest (laughs) because I can't plan this shit out. (laughs) Sweet. Well, um, I think that's going to wrap things up, but. I think you touched on some shows earlier briefly, but uh, I want to give you another chance to let everybody know because you are still out there putting out content that people should be listening to. So uh, why don't you give everyone an opportunity to hear what you have going on right now. And if you, if you're uh, familiar with like what the latest stuff is for people to uh, jump right into, go ahead and mention that too. Okay, uh, well, I am currently doing two shows a month with Brian. That is Horror in the House of Salmons. We release two episodes of that a month. And that's available on Anchor and pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts. And we also uh, have a Patreon for that show if anybody's feeling froggy and they want some extra content. That's where we do new movie reviews and uh, franchise retrospectives. We just completed... Uh, a Texas Chainsaw franchise retrospective. And the most recent thing we've done was a review of the black phone when that came out. And we actually recorded a review of the sadness, which was requested by a patron. And that is the next thing coming out there. Then apart from that, I do what you're watching with Bo once a month where we talk about, Whatever. Uh, It doesn't have to be horror. We just talk about movies we've watched recently 
or even shows that we've watched recently, whatever we feel like talking about. The main point of that show is just to get us into conversation where we go off in all kinds of nutty directions. So it's just a, a very loose one hour show. It is like hard one hour. He puts it on a timer. And if if I'm in the middle of a sentence when the show's over, that's just too damn bad. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Usually we plan it ahead better than that. So it doesn't usually happen. Like it will. He'll tell me I have. All right. We got a few more minutes left. Let's wrap it up. But it has happened where we've just stopped it in the middle of a conversation because it was time for the show to be over. So if you like shorter form shows, that's a fun one, I think. And, and we kind of run the gamut of what we talk about on there. And that is on the Legion Podcast Network. And then that's pretty much it for regular stuff that I do. Um, I'll be, I'm on the summer series this year. As usual, I always try to make an appearance there. And then that's, uh, I think we're going to be doing um, a guest spot, Brian and I, on Eternal Darkness of Not-So-Spotless Minds coming up with Kate and Matt. So we'll be, we're still trying to plan that, but that should be coming up soon. So I'm still out there. I'm still out there doing my thing. Sounds amazing. And, you know, you guys always have an open invite on my shows. I think, yeah, we'll be covering uh, Jordan Peele's Nope on Monday, I think. So. Well, we've got uh, season three of our show is about to be around the corner and we're changing up the format. So it's going to be a little more free. We're not... uh, uh, not not abandoning the ABCs. We just have to change it up because there are several letters that we've run out of movies. <laughs> so um, what we're doing is um, it's son of the ABCs of hidden horror, but you know children are rebellious. So we're not uh, we're not chaining ourselves to the alphabet. We're gonna do fun things like um, pair up movies based on cast or director or theme or whatever. And we're just going to use it as an opportunity to talk about whatever we feel like talking about. Uh, And that part's going to be the same as far as we don't think these movies get talked about enough. We want to talk about them. That part, that part's still going to be there. Anyway, you should come on and join us to do that sometime. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I love doing shows that are like some type of theme based. Um, Gee, I never would have (laughs) guessed. Yeah. I know it's always like, is this the part where I say, hey, guys, theme warriors. But uh, I, I just think it's cool. Like, I, I love matching up movies. I love doing movie versus movie. I, I just I, I think it's an interesting way to, like, enhance the conversation because yeah. most most movies aren't made in a vacuum. You know, there's there's influence there or influences. There's uh, techniques. There's, you know, directors that cross over. There's like all sorts of elements to movies that it's just fun matching up of something else. And uh, sometimes it's, yeah, it's as simple as like the director did both of these or the same actor or they're both have werewolves, like whatever it could be. It, it's always fun um, to do a compare and contrast. But anyways, before we get off on another tangent, cause we could talk horror or just movies all night, Jamie, thanks so much for being a part of my new sidecast. I know it's just starting. So it's always a huge help to get people on there just to help me get it out there. And hopefully, you know, some people listening will have already known us for years and others will be listening to both of us for the first time. But uh, thanks so much for coming on. 
Well, thanks for inviting me. I am honored to be here, and I always love having any opportunity to talk to you. So it was fun. I looked forward to it. All right. So make sure to catch Jamie's other shows out there. And uh, with that, we are going to get out of here. And I'll be back with episode three with a guest as of yet undetermined, but lots of potential.